to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Yes, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo, co-author of the bestseller of the same name and author of The One Minute Commute, my latest book published by Pan Macmillan and available in all good bookshops online and as an audiobook courtesy of audible.com. Yikes, six hours of me droning on. Anyway, that's enough about The One Minute Commute. Now, before I introduce our guest, let me tell you about Flying Solo's premium membership. There's a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solo book and much, much more, all for just $99. Head to the join page to find out more. Now, today our guest is Sue Parker from Dare Group Australia. Sue is immersed in the world of branding and marketing communications and works with professional and creative services businesses. As we'll hear, she has a particular interest in the power of LinkedIn. And according to recent research, we'd be crazy not to embrace the opportunities that are there waiting. So welcome, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Robert. Thank you. It's been a, lo a long time that I've been waiting to be interviewed by you. So thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry to keep you waiting. But look, I'm... I <laughs> So look, what... I've been years I've been waiting to be oh, interviewed okay. thank you. <laughs> okay, so look, come on, what's the research telling us about LinkedIn and, you know, basically what do we need to do to kind of make the most of it? What about, what's the research? Big question, lots of answers. Mm. Globally, we are now, we have now hit 590 million. But what that, where we are sitting in Australia is absolutely mind-blowing. In 2010, LinkedIn had 1 million subscribers to the platform. In Australia or in the world? In Australia. In right. Australia. Yep. In Australia in 2010 when it was still very much a recruitment resource. Yep. Fast forward now to... 2018, when the last uh, stats came out, there's 10 million Gosh. Australian subscribers on the platform. And it has become not a nice to do, it is a must do. Sure. It is no longer a conversation of, oh, should I, shouldn't I? If you are a small business and a business to business marketer, if you're not on the platform, you're just leaving a lot of money on the table. So the mm. conversation and the narrative has absolutely changed and the statistics are very compelling. Wow. Okay. Now I know you did, I mean, that's incredible. So 590 million people worldwide, 10 million in Australia. I mean, as you say, that's massive, but just my own sort of cursory glance at, at, at some of the sort of profiles that you see. So many people appear to me still to be very dormant. You know, they might be on there, but they're not doing a whole lot. So hopefully that's what today's all about, is, is getting people to think, well, maybe it's time I had a look at my LinkedIn profile and, and do a lot more with it. What's your sort of overall view? I know you did some research yourself with your own community. What sort of things did you find from that, people's views of LinkedIn? Well, the, 
the absolute overarch for business to businesses is that it is a significant channel to grow their business. Mm. I mean, when we look at the, the general stats that um, various social medias like Social Examiner, Hootsuite, HubSpot do, I mean, HubSpot um, have long touted in the last few years that 277% more effective on LinkedIn than Facebook, and Facebook was the ostensible champion. Not so. Um, 94% of business-to-business marketing channels are directed through the platform. And the other interesting thing that's really tweaked very much in the last three years particularly is in Australia, out of that 10 million, 40% of those that group mm-hmm. are using the platform regularly, weekly and monthly. Mm, and okay. so when you start to combine the decision-making processes, it, the stats are very, very clear mm. that 70 to 80, and they're a little bit dubious because there are different stats, but on average, 70 to 80% of business-to-business purchasing decisions have LinkedIn as a core part of that sourcing and social proof and research strategy. So mm. it's, again, it's not a should I, shouldn't I. It is a must-have. Yeah, but, okay. of course, um, lots of people aren't doing it well and some people are doing it brilliantly. Yeah. So, look, I know that um, we shouldn't necessarily kind of talk about LinkedIn uh, in terms of lead generation, but I know, or at least I believe, that the um, percentage that you quoted there from HubSpot, you know, they're saying that uh, LinkedIn is 270% more effective in lead generation. So let's not worry ourselves too much about pulling that apart. But there is no doubt that for those of us in small service businesses, um, whether directly or indirectly, it there's no doubt it can contribute hugely to business opportunities and business development. I mean, we'd have to agree with that, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm. And I know sometimes that I I find the word lead generation um, not as amenable as social selling and social relationship development. Yes. Unfortunately, and this is a very interesting point because quite often we hear, and it came out in the research I did, of the uh, malaise around people feeling as though they're being sold to on the platform. Mm, mm. And they are, you know, they, they're getting sales messages. Well, the truth is, Robert, that irrelevant of LinkedIn or not, there's always been bad salespeople and bad marketers yes. well before the internet, well before Google. And so bad salespeople who have got no ability to build relationships and understand a stronger marketing need channel have just used LinkedIn on the keyboard versus picking up the phone. And so it is, as you say, it creates, I get probably 35, 40% of my business in fact, probably closer to 50 in the last two years via LinkedIn. And mm. so the research I did, um, which looked at people's likes and dislikes of the platform from a user perspective, was just uh, just resounding. It is a channel that creates opportunity, relationships, networking and exposure that leads to sales, whether that be a direct lead generation campaign, which we all have done, or it is by virtue of 
that exposure and giving value of what your expertise is. So it's yeah, quite okay. important, isn't it? Yeah, so look, I, I mean, I, the, interesting, there's a few points there that I, I really want to, to get your opinion on things. Now, as you said a few minutes ago, you know, where it's used uh, increasingly or has probably always been used in this sense is helping people make a decision about either purchasing something uh, or signing up to use somebody's services or indeed employing someone. Um, and uh, as you said, it's it's social proof. You know, it's it it and it still I think um, is immensely powerful in that sense. Is one of the first things I think I do with anybody like when I'm talking about interviewing someone on the podcast is I'll go and have a look at their LinkedIn profile. So it's hugely valuable in that sense. I hope sense. you liked mine. Well, I hope, hey, I hope you liked mine. We're talking, aren't we? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But the thing is, uh, and I'll be interested in your thoughts on this, is that, uh, you know, again, I'm just going back to this lead gen. I do see, unfortunately, and I've, I've sort of talked about this before, that I just get a bit over the fact that so many people now, it seems to me, when you link in with somebody, um, we have to be much more discerning before we accept somebody's request, it seems to me, because so often... What I notice is, is somebody wants to link in with me, I, I connect with them, and the next thing I know, my email address has been stripped out of LinkedIn and added to a, an email newsletter that I n never asked for, never don't want. You know, there's so much of that stuff going. People are gaming LinkedIn. And what's your thought on that? Okay, now that, I'm very, very glad you brought up that um, question about emailing. So let me answer that in a couple of spaces. Mm. First of all, LinkedIn now have absolutely identified the, the absolute stripping of email addresses. Under the privacy and privacy settings, there is now a default. Your email address is defaulted to never be shared or downloaded on a CSV file. This only happened within the last four months. Oh, interesting. LinkedIn, I didn't know that. No, and that's been a game changer. We're all thrilled to pieces. Quite frankly, I know lots of international and national LinkedIn specialists who have done that as well. But it's now a default. People cannot do that and scrape that data. And so that has certainly given a lot more comfort. I have been on so many mailing lists, uh, Robert, that I've mm. never subscribed to. So the lack of integrity of marketing awareness has been an issue. LinkedIn, thank heavens, have addressed that, and it's been a great game changer. The other aspect around gaming, which you asked about, is also LinkedIn in their user agreement categorically ban third-party plug-in tools to their platform. So what that means, and over time now is becoming very, very regulated, is that people who are trying to gain the platform by plugging tools and sending out hundreds and hundreds of connection requests, their profiles are being compromised. They can be I've actually written an article which Flying Solo published last year, which was one of the biggest shared articles of mine on your on your site, mm -hmm. about LinkedIn jail. And LinkedIn jail is a very, very, very real um, outcome of when people have either misused the platform, yep. broken user agreements, and or used third-party plug-in tools to scrape data and to... Um, automate through bots. So 
in LinkedIn's great credit, they are standing by their integrity of the platform quality. So whilst what you've said is true, there is a lot of nonsense on the platform. There has been some really bad practices. I'm seeing a very sheer shift and recalibration of that. But it's it's still going to be a couple of years. And it's interesting too because the research I did in December around what people really loved about LinkedIn and what they hated about it (laughs) was it was very clearly split, Robert, on the responsibilities that LinkedIn need to take amends of and make changes with and what users need to do and make changes with. And it was very 50-50. So, you know, users are just as the old yellow pages days as I come from, you know, you know, the old yellow is it's, it's the chicken and the egg. Users and the way people are using the platform are either improving the user experience or minimizing it and selling that user experience. All right. So it's a real this, 50-50 responsibility. Okay, let me. I'm going to pause you there for a sec. So we might come on and have a look then at the moment, uh, in a moment, to as users, you know, how we can and should use the platform most efficiently. So maybe we'll have a look at some, I know you have some sort of pillars or some particular areas where, where, where I know that you feel we need to concentrate. But just to recap then on some of the stuff we said, for anyone listening who maybe has been hesitating on LinkedIn because they're thinking, I don't like the look of this platform anymore, you know, and, yep. I, and I increasingly hear people that do feel like that. What you're saying is, okay, LinkedIn are now kind of all over this and they're stopping it and they're shutting down um, the the means by which some people kind of automate connections and strip emails out. So I'm so pleased to hear that they're doing that because it just, you know, we see this so often, don't we, with any kind of social media channel is it gets to a point where suddenly – the owners of that channel, sudden, you know, looking at kind of uh, at income generation and what was valuable, suddenly kind of starts to dissipate. You know, I see it with with Instagram. Uh, we've seen it on just about every platform. But what you're saying is, no, no, no. LinkedIn are getting it together. They are shutting the door on some of those things. So, to anybody listening who's been hesitating, what I'm getting from you is. Don't hesitate for too long. You know, let's just let's get in there and do it well is what you're saying. So what are what do you see as being the key things that we need to consider if we're going to do well with LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to comment too, despite the few pesky little painful things, there is still absolutely no doubt far, far, far more benefits then there is the peskiness and okay. there really, really is. There really truly is. And the five, the main things that people need to do, and again, it's always quality over quantity of everything, yep. is to get really deep, crystal clear clarity of what their business objectives are. LinkedIn is the place to be. That is a given. So what is the clarity that they need? What what results? What does results look like for them? Who is their client, ideal client? What sort of personal brand do they want to communicate? So that's that clarity part. And yep. that's, the, that's the mothership. That's the absolute mothership of that clarity and then the profile and how you show up because 
people buy, as the old saying goes, and people they know, like, and trust. We get that. Yep. So who are you? Get absolute crystal clarity on that. And the profile piece is without doubt the mothership, as I said, of the whole experience before you go into the strategy. So I look at the foundation part, which is clarity and profile, and then the strategy, which is connection, content, sales and engagement strategies. But your profile is the area where I will say 70% of people get it wrong. And how do they, Sue, how how do they get it wrong? Is it that they're um, trying to sort of jam-pack everything in there? Is it, what 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 is it that makes a profile so wrong? What are some of the things? Uh, there's many elements. Within a nanosecond, Robert, we make a judgment on a photo yeah. and the visual within a nanosecond. So mm. those two things, that's critical. So many people get that wrong. Then the headline is critical to be just as a good. It is actually people forget that LinkedIn is a search. Yeah. It is a search algorithm. It feeds into Google. Your LinkedIn profile generally will come up in the first page of Google, as does content if you do it well with SEO. So your profile is, again, the mothership, a crystal clear headline. Now, the profile itself, there are so many uh, people being given very, very bad advice on the platform that a profile should be written in the third person. I am very, very um, strong on this. Your profile is your own profile. Over the years... So it should I'll, be in the first person, you think? Always. Okay. Always. Always. Unless, well, hey, unless you are a politician, a very, very famous person, we'll let Barack Obama go, we'll let Malcolm Turnbull go, we'll let... Uh, uh, Mariah Carey, though, but seriously, for our audience, for business people, it's always in the first person. And it, so many people have been given very bad advice, mm. and it comes across as an arrogant twat, right. and it's not engaging because. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole purpose, it's your profile. Yep. So you want it to be direct, you want it to be authentic, and you want it to be real. But the most important thing is you want it to inspire confidence and action. And it has to be you. And a lot of people are, are, are doing cliches. They're not inspiring. So that's the most important thing to get that absolutely like an attraction magnet. Yeah, it's a get, it, get it right. And so yeah. just at one point there, and as you say, if if we ever put sort of somebody's name into Google, the chances are one of the very first uh, responses is going to be a link to the, um, sorry, it's going to be a link to your LinkedIn profile. So hugely important, yes. as you mentioned. I noticed so many people, and again, I, I'm not sure whether you call this gaming or not, but tend to fill up their sort of name with a long description. There's people I've noticed who have worked out they can get sort of images and little, you know, icons in there as well, which I suppose are all designed to get more attention. I personally find them irritating and distracting. What's your thoughts on that sort of stuff? Oh, well, apart from that, it's against the user agreement. And look, I'm not a, you know, I'm not trying to be LinkedIn police, but the there's a reason why, some, that, for example, LinkedIn say in your name field, it's just Robert Gerrish, it's just Sue okay. Parker. But a lot of people are gaming it with, for example, Sue Parker, um, professional services. That is against the user agreement. But right. what it's also doing, they try to game it and being smart, mm. but it has a perverse incentive effect because, A, it, it 
it compromises your search. For when people are searching, remember LinkedIn is a search uh, tool. It compromises that. It diminishes the feel and look in the feed of the user experience. So can you imagine when you're going through content and there's so many other pieces of nonsense like icons and phone numbers Mm. and all bits and bobs. So there are two elements, again, what I said earlier about two sides. The user experience, you might think you're being a smarty pants, but if everyone's doing that sort of nonsense, the actual user experience is, oh, this is just so cluttered. This looks messy. This feels mm. looks messy. It doesn't allow my eyes, and as you know as a publisher, to draw into specific terms. So there is some very good logical reasons to keep to the user keep agreements. It, keep it simple and clear. Yeah, actually, I've got to fess up now, but hopefully by the time this podcast published, I will get in and edit it. I'm pretty sure my name also has some words after it. So as soon as we finish up, I'm going to check. No, don't check now. I'm going to go in and I'm going to go in and change it. All right. So look, we've looked at um, being really clear on exactly who it is we serve, what it is we do for them. Uh, you mentioned there having a profile that's very clear, that's written in the first person, having a, a an image that's you know good and clear, and again, you know, it shows us kind of to our best. So let's imagine we've got that stuff done you know and i'm guessing a fair amount of the sort of profile to some extent will be copy and pasted from the about page on our website and it's stuff that we've probably written before and elsewhere but let's say we've got that stuff right what about then just again again i'm thinking of people that maybe just really not doing much with it what about connection? How do we start to use it? How do we, what, what is the kind of the basics of publishing on LinkedIn? Great question. I mean, there's basically after that part, and again, just to cover off that too, just on the profile, remember it's about the problem you solve, not your background or what you had for breakfast, okay. even though you want to show a bit of personality. The connection strategy, again, is critical because that's the first part. So you've got to be clear. You've got to have some strategy and intention. And I want to mention something here which um, has been the cause of much debate within the LinkedIn uh, <laughs> hemisphere. Right. Quality, not quantity. There's been a perception that... You need to have mammoth amount of connections Mm. to look valid. That is not true. You see people with, for example, they've sent out these connection requests and they've got they're just a small accountant down the road and they've got fifteen thousand connections. Mm. Now that's not logical. I've done also research and I assure you that uh, that sort of number they would actually know 0.002% of their connections. But there's a perception that you need to have a lot of connections. You don't. You need to have quality connections, but it's still a good number nonetheless. So it's strategic. So connect connect with the sort of people you want to connect with. Don't go for the numbers game. Just get the right people. But be active i mean should we be just on that point should we be on a in your opinion on a sort of daily basis or a weekly basis looking to connect with more people what's your how overt do we do that yeah look comes back to your strategy i mean like you know it comes back to your marketing strategy a lot of small businesses and i and i'm just diverting a little bit here um because i talk a lot about niching and how niching and marketing messages to a specific niche and amplifying that gives not only better traction 
offline but also online. So quite often, yes, people will be looking to increase their connections. Look, there's no one-size-fits-rule for everybody. Clearly, the best results come when you have at least two hours a week on the platform. If you're serious about doing something, building your connections, building your visibility, creating awareness, it is having some time set aside and it has to be done by you, not by a third-party bot or an overseas outsource. It has to be done by you yeah. because it's your it's your reputation and your commentary. So connection requesting is a very, very important part of the strategy, not a one-size-fits-all, it's not a one-tick. A lot of businesses have been given bad advice about that. Um, my advice is just simply be mindful and strategic and put yourself in the shoes of the receiver of your connection request. Would you connect with you? Personalise it. Always show a little bit of relevance. Make people, and I think in a, in a world, Robert, where everyone is grappling for business, we need to remember that we all still are humans and we still all want to feel a little bit special hmm. and a little bit unique. So make that person feel a little, make that person up front see that you've taken a little bit of care because it is no, if you have connections that have, don't care about you and you don't care about them, the rest of the strategy of content, sales and engagement goes nowhere. Okay. All right. Look, I think that's very clear. And I like the sound that, you know, maybe it's a, a couple of hours a week if you want to start taking the platform seriously. I like the thought about, um, you know, thinking more about our connections, making them personal, making people feel special. But again, I'm just thinking of someone listening who's who maybe is somewhat dormant on LinkedIn. It's like, okay, so I've got these connections. I'm spending a couple of hours a week. I've got people that mm -hmm. seem to be the kind of people that maybe one day I could do business with or they could help me with my business. What do we do then? We've got this group of people sort of vaguely around us, but kind of so what? How do we now get their attention? What should what briefly is a sort of uh, the content strategy that you suggest to engage with these people a little further? Absolutely. So the content strategy, and again, so the, the, the content for your content is multivariate. Now, sorry, you're going to have to explain that. Sure. <laughs> Multivariate means that the type of content is going to be absolutely aligned to who your ideal clients are. What floats their boat? What are they looking for? What is the information of your expertise that's going to be of value to them and put you in a light of a go-to authority? Okay. And I don't use the word thought leader here. I'm talking about the go-to authority in your industry segment. So there are many ways you can amplify and share your knowledge and your expertise and your values. And that can be via articles, which are evergreen, posts, which are transient, videos, which can be both, the new PDF downloading and podcasts. So there are many content forms that you need to have what I call a content marketing mix on LinkedIn and it's got to be aligned to who your audience is. And as we know, and we've spoken about this often, uh, video is not for everybody. It's not for your audience. It depends who your ideal tribe is. What is the first thing is how do I show value and connect with relevance and expertise to the audience that I want? What are they looking for? What's going to float their boat? And then design that content strategy 
around that. And just on that content piece, Robert, this is really quite astounding. We've got, as we said up front, 590 million subscribers worldwide, and yet only 3 million subscribers post content. Okay. So, there, so there is still a massive <laughs> window of opportunity for good content, right. quality value to get heard. It's not being it's there's still a lot of room to okay. do that. Let me just I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. So you've talked about um, a number of options. It could be a post, it could be an article, it could be a video, it could be a PDF. So again, to somebody listening who's possibly not done much, it's like, whoa, that sounds overwhelming. So let's imagine we've got one person listening who is most definitely in sort of professional services. Um, we can pick any industry that you, you might like the sound of, um, but that is looking to get to their audience, and that, but they don't, want, they don't want to do videos maybe, they don't want to no. do something every day. If there was one form of content um, that you would recommend, what would that be? It would be definitely, look, long form um, is my favourite, but unfortunately, and I'll just come back to that, LinkedIn have articles and posts. Articles are permanent where you can have very, very deep depth long form content. Posts have 1,300 characters, so you can still get quite a bit of bang for your buck there. The first question to that small business who's never done anything is what do you know if you shared it would be of great value to somebody. What do you know that by sharing will help somebody today? Okay, got you. So if you're in the, uh, let's think, mortgage-broking business, uh, a long-form article on you know top 10 tips in choosing a mortgage broker or what you need to know about the property market over the next 12 mm. months, that sort of value. So it's a, it's a, it's a longer piece that really itches, sorry, yeah, itches, a, is that right? Scratches an itch, you know. Scratches, yeah. yeah. so then, it's something yeah. that your audience are really, so doing one long form detail piece is, you're saying is actually the ideal more so than, you know, peppering with lots of smaller posts every well, day. Just, yeah, look, I'll just be clear on that. Or something mm. I was engaging last night in my, um, some colleagues in America, the debate between articles and posts. Now, remember, LinkedIn want you to stay on the platform. So p posts in the feed is where 90% of the algorithm love is being given. So you've got 1,300 characters. So you could do a post in your feed, top 10 tips, and, and list them down. You can still do that. So that is still very, very important. You can, I mean, LinkedIn penalised links now so you've got to be very very careful so a post is still the way you get visibility as a small business you want visibility to build your business whether it be for lead generation or branding or subject authority whatever it is you need visibility and posts are the way to do it so you still so those 10 tips yeah it is again always about once someone's read that when they walk away have they got more knowledge now or feel inspired to maybe even contact you further or right. just 
And that's the thing where people are getting it very, very wrong. Mm. And the going back to the, uh, I'm not just using my opinion here, I'm going back to the research that's been printed already and it's up in media has been done, was that people are getting really tired of narcissistic look at me, I've smashed it type posts. Mm. It doesn't add value no. except for vanity. And I think that, that however, if their own ideal tribe is of a similar ilk, that's going to work, you know. But I think for most businesses who are wanting to use LinkedIn for the first time, they've got to come from the position of their expertise and helping people, but also in their voice too. They okay. have to be there themselves. All right. Look, I'm going to sort of wrap us up in a couple of moments. But just so just to be clear on that, I just want to understand. So if I'm, if, if I'm writing a long-form piece, so an article, there is no sort of guarantee that all the people that I'm connected with are going to see that. But it's Oh, absolutely not. No, no. it's okay. not. We've actually, no, and that's, again, articles and posts are very, very different. Hmm. Just quick, very quickly, the algorithms now have a process um, component where it starts via a bot. 10 to 15% of your... And there is an intuitive algorithm that drives who sees what. It's quite complex in the engineering department. But only when you put a piece of content on LinkedIn, first up, generally 15% of your connections will have a view of it in their feed. If that 15% finds that content highly valuable and comments and engages, it will keep the views going. Okay. Got you. But, and that's why a lot of people are gaming the system with all sorts of uh, attempts to get more reach, which will be counterintuitive, and LinkedIn have caught up on as well because LinkedIn, remember, want authenticity on the platform. They're a little bit uh, they're very protective on that. But essentially there are a lot of techniques, Robert, to have some of that content shared in your feed because once you post something on LinkedIn, a lot of small businesses find that that then acts as a wonderful conduit for their Twitter, their Facebook, which is secondary to this, and then their website. And we'll also, and something very important that's just become part of discussion before we wrap up, is that articles, whilst they're not given as much LinkedIn distribution and love, they actually can show up in Google search. Hmm. And that, as we know, 50% of all uh, website traffic come from LinkedIn. And that is a very, very important part. So it's very much a, a strategy that um, businesses need to have a look at. Yeah, and I guess also it's part of this um, social proof is if we wind back to the beginning of the conversation when people – Google your name or they've heard about you and they end up on your LinkedIn page, that's where they're going to see your articles because they do feature pretty prominently on your own profile page, don't they? So that's, oh, that can yeah. be a great place to have some key sort of pillar content pieces that just says, this is who I am and this is what I care about. You know, that's a way that we can do that. That's the way we can perhaps, um, you know, use our longer form articles. So look, my, my final question to you is, to do with recommendations. Now, historically, personally, I've always found LinkedIn a, a wonderful uh, means by which I can get sort of uh, recommendations or testimonials of work that I've done because they make the process uh, very straightforward and very easy. So if I'm doing a, you know, a speaking gig or something and, and the hosts that I'm with are, are happy with what I've done, 
um, then it's very seamless for me to say, thank you, would you mind giving me a, a recommendation on LinkedIn? And it's and the success rate I have with that person is extraordinarily high. So is the value, are the value, is the value, not sure the right language, <laughs> recommendations on LinkedIn, how important are they? Oh, critical. Well, I just put an article up on that um, the last few days. It's critical because, I mean, I came from, and just on that, um, people will not put their full na- their whole name and box and drill on a recommendation because it, unless they really truly are willing to be held up to public scrutiny. Yep. And so it is probably the most powerful way to give a recommendation, far more than often. I mean, you will often see businesses on websites being anonymous or mm. partial disclosure, you know, Robert G. Well, who's yes. Robert G? Yep. So this is the, I consider, um, it is probably the, the most powerful way. Um, and a lot of people won't give recommendations to anybody mm. um, for, that, for whatever reason. But, yeah, absolutely that critical. And, again, um, there's a way to do it. It's, it's also um, the law of psychological reciprocity as well. And I think recommendations too, when we make purchasing decisions, knowing that 74% of buyers look at LinkedIn as a part of their, their purchasing process, as a supplier, as a staff member, as a client, as a board director, we all have different experiences of that person. So remember, LinkedIn is still is very much a personal platform of a relationship. So yeah. recommendations, I again, I use that word multivariate, um, can be from your suppliers. They can be from your clients. They can be from your staff. One of the other things too, especially for small businesses, is that if they have plans for growth, and this is a really important part. If they have plans to grow their business and bring on staff, they need to really develop a platform of attraction as a business of choice to work for. So recommendations form a very strong part of that as mm. well. Gotcha. Okay, great. Look, Sue Parker, thank you so much again for giving up your time and sharing it with the Flying Solo community. Um, I know, as you mentioned earlier, we've had uh, articles of yours now um, publishing on Flying Solo. So for people listening, please do check out Sue's work. So if we want to find out more about you, where's the best website to head to? Where do we go? Uh, daregroupaustralia.com.au daregroupaustralia.com.au okay so thank you again for joining us thank you and before I go don't forget when it comes to creating a truly enjoyable and prosperous business flying solo gets you premium membership has all the tips and tools you'll need for just $99 head to the join page to learn more and that's where we'll leave this show from flying solo and your host Robert Gerrish We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.